Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, a show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua. I am your host, and today I am thrilled to bring you a special story from a friend of mine who we are sitting face to face. Her name is Anne, and we're sitting here in her home. And uh, I've known Anne's story for a while. It's been inspirational to me. And I thought, how better to bring you something really useful as far as a little bit of, of, of her story and uh, how better to bring what, what better way to bring you a story of unusual financial circumstances than uh, the story of an older lady, a widow with 12 children whose husband died when how old was your youngest at that time, Anne? Ten months. So you had you had at that time you and he had twelve children, uh, and your youngest was ten months. Your oldest was in her early twenties, and he had no life insurance. Is that right? That's correct. And I thought this would just be a, a a great story and a very inspirational and encouraging story that I really wanted to share with my audience. So now that I've given just a little bit of an introduction, I would love to back up a little bit. Tell me the story of you and your husband, how you met, how you married, and how you came to build a life together. Ah, that's kind of a long story. Let's see what I can do. Um, I'll make it short. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mm, there was 15 years difference in our ages. Mm -hmm. And when I was uh, going to the university... Um, I, uh, now how do I do this? Let's see. <laughs> I was taking a chemistry class that uh -huh. was very difficult right. for me because I wasn't good at math. Right. And, um, my chemistry partner was not any better than I was. And he told me that I should get together with this guy named Jack mm -hmm. because Jack could help me with the chemistry. He didn't mm -hmm. just, wouldn't just help me with a particular problem that I had, but would make me understand. Right. Uh, where the problem was and bring me up to date. I thought, no, I didn't want to go through all that bother, so I didn't meet Jack at that time. But Jack is the one that I eventually married. Wow. Um, and the way we met was at that, my chemistry partner's lab partner um, had a going away party, and mm -hmm. both of us were invited to that party. So um, Jack offered to walk me home. Afterwards, I thought, oh, yeah, this is just a wolf, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, he was a gentleman. He didn't want to see me walking home at night alone. And we got to talking about the Chronicles of Narnia, <laughs> and we both liked them. And so we started up a Chronicles of Narnia study, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can How take fun. it from there. But we had a, um, uh, we enjoyed each other. We got to know each other over time. Both of us at that time were committed to staying single unless God made mm -hmm. it evident that we should get married to the mm -hmm. other person. And God made it evident. So when to did me. you marry? We married in 1975. Okay. And at that time, you were living out here in the Western United States. And uh, your husband was working as a chemist. Yes. He, okay. Yes, he was an analytical chemist. Wow. And one of the, the things that I find most interesting is as his career developed, even prior to the days of, of, uh, of computer connection, he worked out the ability to work remotely. How did that come to happen? Okay. <clears throat> so we wanted to move from where we lived. Mm -hmm. um, he had developed some health problems. <clears throat> he had high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And... He was using, okay, so he's a scientist, mm -hmm. and he was using himself as a guinea pig to find out what was right. causing it. He came to the conclusion that um, at least one thing that was, op mm, 
influencing his blood pressure mm -hmm. was that he was chemically sensitive. Okay. And we were living in a place, he had built a house for us in a place that had chemical exposure. Okay. And we couldn't get away from that in our house. We tried internally, like with indoor air pollution, to get rid of all plastics and all scented products and things like that, but we were still not able to get rid of the chemicals there. So we decided to move somewhere where we could build another house and... Um, have it be chemically clean and where there was clean water and clean air and um, preferably where food could grow and we could grow clean, clean right. food. And I think Jack had in the back of his mind too to um, move the family to a place where food was growing in abundance mm -hmm. because I think that he also thought, well, it may be that I'll die from mm -hmm. this um, high blood pressure. And um, so we moved to a place that was a friendlier climate for food growing, and mm -hmm. um, boy, there was a lot of food. There was a lot extra that nobody wanted that was going to waste. We'll get to that uh, as the story progresses, but I want to, when did he become sick? Was he sick before you married, or did, did his illnesses emerge after you married? It was it emerged afterwards. In okay. fact, we probably, it was um, after we had four children, so mm -hmm. I ever however long that is. <laughs> and so did did you think that, did it seem like, um, could, could he pinpoint a specific cause or he just started to develop well, ill health? Well, he found out that he had high blood pressure. Okay. And he, um, it was, he had a headache. Right. And so he went and, uh, to a chiropractor who mm -hmm. had helped him before to get rid of a headache, right. found out his blood pressure was high. Right. right. So uh, in, in his research into his own symptoms, he came to, you, you came to understand that, um, the various environmental toxins were really causing him to to feel worse and to have a lot of problems. Yes. And so one of the solutions that or the solution that you came up with was to move to a more rural area where you would be more able to build your own home and build it uh, free of toxins, which today is very in vogue. Uh -huh, <laughs> today uh -huh. you can pay lots of money to have products that, you know, low VOC paint and all uh -huh, kinds of things. Uh -huh. But this was during the mid 80s. Do I have my timing right? Or early 80s? Mm -hmm, probably, yes. So early to mid 80s. But he didn't have a source of income in the new place. He was depending on the other source of income. Right. Do you remember how he worked? So this this is prior to the days of email. Mm -hmm. This is prior to the days uh, of, I guess you had telephones, faxes, physical, you know, going for business and, and letters, right? right? Those right. were your major right. methods of communication. Maybe you could overnight packages with FedEx, but it was, you could. It was certainly more expensive then than it is now uh, to do that. How did he approach his boss, uh, and how did those negotiations go to, to be able to do this? Yes, well, um, Jack was kind of peculiar in lots of ways. Right. Um, one of those that he had been working full-time until we got married, and mm -hmm. then when we were expecting our first baby, I'm backing up here, yeah. when we were expecting our first baby, um, he went to halftime. And the reason why he went to halftime work was because he was thinking, where on earth is this child going to go, to go to school? Right. So he started researching and then began a Christian school for the town where we were living. Really? And by wow. the time she was um, five years old, though, to, ready to go into the kindergarten mm -hmm. that he had established, uh, he was thinking, oh, no, homeschooling is the way to go. This is the So he... Um, he phased himself out of the Christian school so that okay. we could homeschool our children. Wow. And, um, but then as time went on, by the time we were living um, away from the town where he was being supported, he had gone to quarter time. Wow. Now, I think that, you know, that's helped by um, 
being paid a lot per hour because right. he had his doctorate in chemistry right. and he could um, earn more money per hour. But he wanted also to devote himself to, one, building shelter for us, and two, um, teaching the children. So most homeschooling families, the mom is the teacher. Mm-hmm. In ours, Jack was the primary teacher. Wow. We had a deal that I would take the little kids until they were fluent readers, and then he would take over the teaching there. <laughs> I can empathize with him because I don't, I don't do well with uh, the idea of teaching our our little ones. <laughs> so mm-hmm. my wife seems to just, I, I I work at it, but she just seems to have a a bet an easier time with the patients and all. But I don't I don't think I'm okay with the idea of her doing all the schooling for the older ones because I get so excited about all uh-huh. my ideas. And no. I'm like, I want to do the teaching when they get a little bit older. But teaching to read is yeah. not, doesn't. So I, I think Jack and I are probably alike in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, and he loved he loved being with the little right. ones too. It's just that sure. um, one of my jobs was keeping the little guys right. out of the way while right. he was teaching the bigger kids. Right. But you know, there's a lot, do you know that there's a lot of osmosis that goes on there that you're teaching the older kids and the little kids pick up on it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the best the best things that that can happen is is it seems to me segueing into educational philosophy because so at this point me out me back up. So you homeschooled many children for many years. Yes. And so you probably have seen all kinds of different traditions, had all kinds of exposure. But one of the things I wish more and more for is I wish for a less age segregated society so that the way that in my opinion, the way that learning happens, at least for me, is I get exposed to something, I get an idea, and then you circle around and you get it better and better. And over time, you learn more and more. So that's what the one-room schoolhouse model uh-huh. kind of provided that. It provided exposure, and and older children could teach younger, younger children some of the concepts, and that would cement those concepts for them. Younger children could be exposed to things that older children were working on, and they would start to pique interest interests at different times. Right, and uh, I think it seems like the one room schoolhouse model is is a thing of the past, with the exception of a homeschooling environment where mm-hmm. you can have that older and younger structure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, could, I could also, if you leave your son to teach the younger ones the Canadian provinces, you come back and they're jiving it. <laughs> 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 That's funny. <laughs> so I'll just point out for the sake of my audience, because in Jack's story, there are some lessons that I are things that I frequently wish to impress upon my listeners. And one of those is if you have developed your skills in the marketplace so that they are highly marketable, then in in the equation of time, you don't always have to keep working 60 hours a week. If, you're, if your hourly rate is much higher, it provides you with opportunities to make some of these life changes as, mm-hmm. as Jack did. Mm-hmm. And we lived quite simply mm-hmm. on that quarter time. But, why why but did you live simply from the beginning? Mm, I think partly, largely. Uh, I guess we didn't feel like it. we needed to spend a lot of money on ourselves. And Jack liked to do everything himself. He liked to start from scratch mm-hmm. on things. And um, it made it so you could give more money away. Right. So back, so in that time period, if that was late 70s, early 80s, you would have been involved kind of in the vanguard of, of the homeschool revolution that happened in the United States. Was homeschooling legal when you started with your children? Well, in our state, it it was a moot point. Nobody okay. knew. And so Jack was instrumental in helping that homeschool law Great. to be written. Great. Well, as a younger parent to an older, I say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've studied a little bit of the history of what many of you did during the 80s. And um, we younger 
parents uh, are very appreciative for relatively how easy we have it. So, mm-hmm. so thank you for that. So you guys went on and he built a house, the house that you lived in, right. and then found out about the toxins. And so at that time, uh, you were moving. So back to how we negotiated that with his employer. He was already oh, working a quarter yes. time. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. So um, um, he had also, I don't know when that came in, but he, he felt bad about being on a salary uh, because um, when he didn't work very much, then he'd still get a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. And when he worked a whole lot, he didn't get very much money. So mm-hmm. he had negotiated that with his boss somewhere along the line there, he, he did, um, that he would be paid on an hourly basis. And so um, he felt then the liberty too to spend more time building on the house sometimes. And mm-hmm. then when money was short, he'd work a whole lot of right. chemistry work and so that worked out really well too um i think that his boss valued him and uh was willing to work with what he could do and and jack was demonstrating that he could come down Mm -hmm. to be uh on site Mm -hmm. sometimes um when needed but otherwise there was a whole lot that he could do just he would travel back and forth from the more rural location to the more city location where the employer was right and the rest of the time phone calls faxes faxes were the big things yes And, and then we did get fedex a lot great great so when you moved to uh this rural location what was it that attracted you to this area beauty <laughs> that we, we um there were various people that told us uh we would ask people that we'd meet who seemed to have similar mm-hmm. views that we had what's the best place in the world and they mm-hmm. would tell us various places and um so one time we decided to take a trip and look at some of those places and somewhere in between we found what we really liked <laughs> and um it uh it has i'm going to go ahead and say it has mountains and right. it has water and it has um trees and it's beautiful right right and we're just being slightly cagey of the details just for your own benefit to to avoid having any uh publicity which would be an annoyance to you uh, and I, our audience can figure that out but but you were telling me the story you and he were up here um you had five children and you're camping in the area mm-hmm. and you're camping by a lake and, and uh-huh. you fell in love with the place but here you are you got five little children in a tent and your tent blew, blew down in the middle yeah, of the night yeah there was a big storm <laughs> that came up the tent blew down we had to dig our way out of the canvas you know to get to the, the van um and then the rain came down but uh yeah in the midst no, of all we, of that we still just loved it wow. we just loved yeah. the the beauty of the place primarily so you bought the place as raw land forested mountainous land right right okay. right and also that the area is like i said very mm-hmm. fruitful right and so there's nothing there was nothing here no infrastructure uh when you moved here mm-hmm. and so what did you do how did you develop the property the first thing that we did was um, bring in power. Okay. But to do that, it um, the power company wanted 20 feet of free space with no trees around it. Mm-hmm. So that 20-foot swath down the hill took six weeks wow. to clear. Chainsaws. Chainsaws. Two tractors. people. There was a, a, a woman who came to help, and she was like six feet tall and very strong <laughs> wow. and with a big heart. Right. And she came and helped us. Wow. And um, it took quite a lot of doing also to dig the hole for the outhouse because there are a lot of rocks in wow. this ground. Wow. So that wasn't very practical of us if we wanted to be building, um, like having a garden and growing food to buy a hillside that had lots of rocks. Mm-hmm. But um, we loved the view so much that we went ahead did that and then uh over time jack built the soil up and made the flower bed you know the 
right. garden beds. So it was about 10 acres, right? It was 10 acres. 10 acres and, that you bought. Do you remember how much you paid for it? Yes. It was um, 15000 for the and 10 acres. Did you, he paid for, you paid for it with savings that you guys had? Well, that was- How we, did you finance it? We sold the house okay. where we had lived before that Jack built. Now, he when he built that house, it was also, he built it. Um, we didn't go into debt for the land, and we didn't go into debt as we built the house. But we oh. also didn't get to move into it very soon either. Right. And then we also moved into it a little sooner than we might have right. it because we wanted to put all the money into that house. Right. So when we sold that house, um, we had enough money to make the move and to buy the land and to begin building the new house. And I'll just say that um, at partway through, um, my father said, you know, this easement trouble that you're having, you ought to just buy the other lot that's next to you. So mm -hmm. that's another 10 acres. So we ended up with 20 acres. So we had a little less money for building the house. When it came to building the house, bit by bit, Jack worked and worked. And he hired somebody. Um, there was a young man in the church who was just a brand new Christian. And um, as was Jack's custom. Mm -hmm. He wanted to input in this guy's life, mm -hmm. and the guy was big and strong, too, so he hired him to work with him on the project, and then Great. they could visit as they worked. Right. Did you and he, before you married, did you talk about things like not borrowing money for houses, or was this the kind of thing that emerged after you married? Um, there are some things about Jack that well, there are a lot of things about Jack that I liked a lot. Mm -hmm. One of them was that I kept hearing rumors. Okay, so he worked full time and he made quite a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And um, people, he didn't tell me, but other people told me that, okay, so this guy who was in the geology department mm -hmm. um, had a nice truck. And it was because Jack had bought the nice truck and then given it as a really good deal to this guy. Wow. And there were just a lot of generous stories that I heard from other people. So I knew that Jack was a giver. Mm -hmm. He he lived quite modestly. Mm -hmm. And um, I liked that. I liked that about him that he, um, I, I guess, didn't have a lot of toys, mm -hmm. so to speak. And... Um, his his hobbies were uh, he loved fly fishing and hiking and things like that. I just I liked the right. idea. I I guess I liked how simply he lived. So I'll so uh, so oh, oh you asked did yeah. we talk about it when you were a, a how old were you when you married? I was twenty one. And so he was then thir he was thirty six. Right. Okay. So when you were twenty one, were um, well, let me give the background. The reason I'm asking as a younger man to an older woman. One of the challenges that I observe in marriage today is my wife, my wife's generations, generation, many of our friends and many younger women are, they've come from, they've never known lack, mm -hmm. right? Now, depending on the circumstances, of course, some people come from, from lack. Some people have learned how to, to, um, uh, well, many people come from difficult situations. And my wife, her, you know, she was raised by a single mom who had just a very small amount of money. And so those lessons went deep within her. And one of the things that I really appreciated about her and was attracted to that she was, uh, she was frugal. She was, she was not high maintenance. She's not, mm -hmm. uh, uh, she's not high maintenance. She doesn't require a lot. She's not constantly frustrating with all the things that, that she would like to have. But a lot of, um, but I also have a lot of friends and many times their husbands, uh, you know, when we're talking privately, one of the things that's frustrating is how, inflexible their wives are and 
one of the challenges for many husbands is how do I do some of the things that I'd like to do for our family that require sacrifice in the short term? Mm -hmm. And it's a question I've thought a lot about and I've never quite known uh, obvious, uh, known what to say other than be careful before you marry. Mm -hmm. Marry somebody who's not high maintenance. Marry somebody who's willing to, to do that. And then be willing to carefully share and work diligently to share over time a vision and to show how times of sacrifice are temporary. Um, mm -hmm. But when I, when, you, when I hear your story and when you uh, talk about you know being young and, and building a house, moving into the house before it's finished, uh, and of course, having five small children, when your husband is building a house, a cabin in the woods, though, that's hard. It, it's, it seems romantic when you read the, the book but, mm -hmm. or hear about mm -hmm. it, but it's a lot of hard, sweaty days and a lot of crying children and a lot of penny pinching and a lot of going without nice things. And it, it, I guess I'm not. I guess the the, the question I'm, I'm I'm wondering is, did you were you went along with those and you went along with those ideas? You went along with your husband in that. Was that something that he led you in after being married, or were you always that kind of adventurous person? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question, and I don't know how he would have known to evaluate me on that either. Yeah. Um, I know that as a girl, I used to grow up, I had a friend named Claudia, mm -hmm. and we would play um, Brave Pioneer Woman. Mm -hmm. And what that was, was basically, I dare you to do this, because a Brave Pioneer Woman would do this. Right. And it was very stupid things that we did with each other. <laughs> but I kind of had that, um, that was kind of a, something that I liked when I was in junior high, was that idea of being a Brave Pioneer Woman. So... Um, uh, I think that sometimes people have looked at our lives and looked at like that we had so many children and looked at like sometimes, um, uh, okay, so one time there was a man who came to visit us when we lived in our log house. We didn't have glass in the windows yet. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a door yet. We didn't, you know, and, um, and he said, Jack, you're a rich man. And he was looking at the family and, mm -hmm. um, the the family riches that we had not it was obvious not what we had in our um, like materially, um, but uh, um, I just want to say that Jack uh, and I did these things together. It mm -hmm. wasn't um, it wasn't that he was leading me necessarily. I mean, he did lead me, but mm -hmm. he it wasn't that he pushed me or uh, presumed on me like for things he he and I were in on it together. And um, one thing that goes into this is that uh, Jack, with a cr strong Christian slant, was practically libertarian in his politics. Man, Jack and I would have gotten along really well. <laughs> the more so, I learn about him, I, I met him once when I was yeah. a kid, but the more I learn about him, we would have we would have talked for hours. That's funny. <laughs> so, um, so, but that extended to, like, he, he hated to even pin up the goats that we mm -hmm. had and the chickens that we had. He, he liked right. liberty. Liberty was so important to him. Right. And as his wife, he was so, um, he was concerned with my liberty, mm -hmm. too. So he was not pushing anything on me. Right. I remember when we were building the house in um, that city place, mm -hmm. um, he said, you know, if I'm going to be building this, then I'm not going to be available to help with the children. Mm -hmm. And that was when we had three children. And um, he said, is it worth it? Is is that gonna is that gonna be something you can live with that I'm not gonna be here to be helping with dishes or kids or you know a lot of this you're gonna be on your own and 
I said, okay, well, yeah, I think it's worth it. I don't, it's, that doesn't feel, you know, I don't, that doesn't appeal to mm-hmm. me, but we're going to just have to remember that together as time goes on and it's hard, then we'll just say, yeah, but remember we thought it was worth it. Right. So we were going to remind each other, oh yeah, it's worth it. And it really was worth it. But we did um, count the cost before we started. Did you and Jack hope to have a large family from the early years, or how did that you know, emerge? We were we wanted to have children, mm-hmm. but we sure didn't think that we were going to have as right. many as we did. Right. Um, I was just talking to your wife about this um, earlier. Uh, what happened was we had four mm-hmm. pretty much in a row, mm-hmm. and um, and then Jack said, "You know, you're bushed. You're tired. Right. No more kids until you rest up." Right. So um, we were uh, very careful. Mm-hmm. to not have any more children for mm-hmm. a time. And then I went through a kind of a rebellion. And it was a rebellion against the societal uh, norms mm-hmm. in the United States. Right. Um, and the the thing was that I was seeing just sex, 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 you know, like as far as movies and advertising and things like that, but not connected to children. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and not necessarily in marriage. Like marriage, married people are so careful. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked the idea of um, planting when it's time for something to grow mm-hmm. and not using herbicide and pesticide and whatever to make things not grow. Right. And so the idea of being fruitful mm-hmm. kind of grew in my mind. And I thought it would be a, a pleasure to be fruitful. And so that's, I kind of went through that rebellion. So then um, after that, then it was kind of a free-for-all, except that we spaced the children too. Right, Well, I I can understand that with um, the age of our children. They're in my, and I I always had this theory that the hardest time is when you have multiple young ones, but your oldest is not old enough to help. I think that's true. The most children I ever had was two or three, I think. Right, right. Maybe four. (laughs) That was the most I ever had because after after that I had help. Right, right. And that's, uh, I told my wife that from the very beginning. I said, I'm convinced that three is the hardest number because your oldest is not, you're outnumbered and yet your oldest is basically still useless. Whereas Mm -hmm. beyond that, uh, your oldest can be more useful and can help you to work with the younger ones. And and that's so valuable for them uh, to help them develop character and and be able to to grow as adults. So when you moved um, here to build the cabin, Mm -hmm. you had, how old was your oldest? Do you remember? About yes, when we moved here, she was twelve. Okay, Um, and probably well when we when we were in the house, I know we were in the house, um, and things were you know pretty civilized. (laughs) Um, Then we did you have glass in the windows yet? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) or at least this most of them. (laughs) Most of them (laughs) we had plastic over some of them. You know, um, here's a trick for people who have plastic over Mm -hmm. their windows. If you have cats, put chicken wire over the plastic, and then they can't scratch their way in. (laughs) Good trick. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, from hard won Um, experience. That's right. So um, uh, the oldest then was fourteen. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, now Jack was not. it wasn't like he was a contractor. No, he was a he, he was a, a, a self taught man. He was a uh, he would learn himself. So at that time, he learned how to build from reading books, asking questions. Right. 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 Well, and um, the uh, he had built a doghouse before he built our house in <laughs> in um, the city, and um, 
the only class that he ever got a D in was woodworking. Wow. <laughs> so um, it was a challenge for him. And another thing about him was that he um, he tested out pretty strongly as a perfectionist okay. at work. Right. And then we did one for just the, as a couple, and mm -hmm. it, he was not nearly as perfectionistic. So that was really a blessing <laughs> for me because I'm not perfect. Right. Um, but uh, I loved it that he went ahead and um, built... And with a log house particularly, everything is irregular. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's not dimensional logs. And um, he was willing to just do it, and I encouraged him in it, um, and not worry about it not being perfect. Yeah. And that was that was great. I, I, I loved seeing that side of him. Right, right. To just go ahead. Well, it's such a neat story, and I think it should be more common than it is when you have somebody who is intensely intellectual, um, like a PhD in chemistry and, and a working active research chemist. Um, I think it's often helpful to have an outlet for physical labor and be challenged in things that you're not you're not skilled in. It's and, true. And um, I always noticed that my grandfather, I don't know if you remember this, but my grandfather was a chemist and um, he didn't have a PhD. I think he had a master's degree in chemistry, but he taught chemistry for many years, but he was also often working with things. And I always felt like those two things go together really mm -hmm. well to have an intensely intellectual pursuit and then also to have a chance to go out and work with something in your hands where <laughs> mm -hmm. it's where you have a chance for your body to work and, and your mind and to he, rest. he also found that so satisfying because um, with his chemistry he wasn't sure that he was actually benefiting mm -hmm. mankind with it right um, he had patents that had never been used and um, he just didn't see that but when he would build a table we would eat on the right, table. And right. when he built a house, we lived in the house. Right. And when he planted you know, seeds, they would right. grow and we'd eat the things. Right, and right. that was very satisfying to him. So did Jack's health improve when you moved out here? No. So the In fact, it got worse. Okay. So the allergens, the things, the toxins didn't seem to have as direct an influence as you thought. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's right. Okay. Um, okay. And if... Um, and I, I just don't think we were able to get away mm -hmm. from everything Even that might, that he here, would react right. to. Yes. Got it. So, um, he, um, there came a point where his, his pattern had been that he would have, um, high blood pressure spikes that would last three days. Mm -hmm. And then there'd be a time where it would just be normal high. Mm -hmm. Um, and there came a point where, uh, Instead of the three days, it went five days, and he said, oops, can't do this. Because when his blood pressure was super high, he wasn't able to eat or sleep or think wow. or anything. Wow. So he went ahead and went on a high blood pressure medication. Then mm -hmm. people have frowned at him about not going on high <laughs> blood pressure medication right. before that. But he was trying to see if he could Did it out. help? Oh, yes. Okay. The, the medication helped a lot. Okay. Um, so... So... Um, so that so then um, fast forward a number of years, mm -hmm. you living in the house, built the house, developing the land, planting gardens and things. But it's not a farm; it's a you know we're in a mountainous rural place, and um, he was continuing to work as a chemist that whole time. Yes, mostly um, there. He had been working for a mining company, and then the mining um, industry kind of tanked for a while. So then he was involved in. Um, environmental cleanup with some s similar processes, and um, and then when money got uh, 
tighter than that because mm-hmm. he just didn't have that kind of work. Um, then he and the kids did lawn mowing wow. and raking leaves and things wow. like that, any kind of jobs that would come up. So by virtue of being out of debt, though, and having a paid-for house, and the area, we're in, the area we were in has relatively low taxes and such, even though he wasn't able to work in his high-paying occupation as a chemist, he was still able to support the family with relatively manual labor. Is that yes, right? Yes, yes, okay. except that we also had um, opportunities in this area mm-hmm. because things do grow here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to get free potatoes. It's okay. easy to get, there are a lot of people who have fruit trees and they just have too much fruit and they, it's going to go to waste. And so I went ahead and asked God to um, alert me mm-hmm. to food that was going to go to waste. And I would. I said, my part will be, I'll try really hard not to let it to go to waste. Right. And so um, by this time I knew how to, f- to um, can mm-hmm. and freeze and dry things. And so uh, that also made it easy to live here. What is your analysis as a mother of the cost of children? You know, there's a famous <laughs> U.S. Department of, uh, I can't remember which department, but there's a famous government study that comes out and talks about how much each child costs in the range mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. something like $130,000 per year. What's your perspective, though, as a mother of many, uh, as far as the costs of children? Okay. Somebody asked me this once, and um, and I was supposed to tell her specifically, and I said, you know, it doesn't count. We don't really count. <laughs> because, um, one, we had our babies at home, mm-hmm. um, so we didn't need to pay for hospital things. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing is that we really didn't go to the doctor very right, much. Right. And, um, and then also we uh, had hand-me-downs. People would give us clothes, or else we would go to second-hand stores and get mm-hmm. clothes. Um, we just didn't do things traditionally mm-hmm. that way. So um, I don't, I have no idea. But I know that at one point Jack figured out um, with our, um, when we had a, a large family by this time, probably, I don't know, I'm guessing maybe we had at least 10 children. Mm-hmm. Um, he figured out that uh, we were averaging 50 cents a meal per person. Okay. Wow. So when we, we thought about buying an apple, he said, Ann, um, an apple costs 50 cents. We're not going to buy it in the winter, you know? <laughs> right, right. So. There's definitely a different in the economies of scale when it comes to cooking for children. There's, you definitely, I think, embrace different recipes. You embrace a different approach mm-hmm. just to, to feed a lot of people healthfully versus, uh-huh. uh, versus a small number. One of my grown daughters now who has children of her own said, I used to think that we ate according to like healthful things. Now I realize we ate what was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and the great thing is those don't have to be opposed. You no, can eat no. healthfully and inexpensively. Uh-huh. So... Uh, Jack died when he was 61. Correct. Right? Now, did um, did you and he know that he was going to die? Was he kind okay. of... Okay. Yeah, so when he, went on his, like? when he went on the blood pressure medication, he found out that his kidneys were functioning half mm-hmm. of what they should. Mm-hmm. And um, then later, um, when he... Um, was working at a, well, actually, he was going to go to Cincinnati and work in a place where they did radioactive. Mm-hmm. Um, they had radioactive materials there. He had to take a short course to learn how to be safe in that place. Mm-hmm. He also had to shave off his beard so that he could wear a mask. <laughs> right. But um, at that time, he had to have a, a physical exam um, so that 
uh, they would know what his baseline health was uh, so that he couldn't sue them later for the damage that he'd received at the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, at that time, he learned that his kidneys were a quarter of uh, functioning. Right. And the doctor then said, uh, you have, um, in three years, you'll need dialysis. In mm-hmm. five years, you'll need a transplant. He said, you're in great health, except that you're going to die tomorrow. Right. <laughs> well, if you, if you know you're going to die, at least you could be in good health until until that happens. Mm-hmm. So he, so you and he had an expectation that the, the days could be short. There was no yes. clarity on timing, but you yes. had an expectation that the days could be short. Yes. What did you do? We had already been doing all sorts of things, diet things. One of my girls wrote a thing about this and said um, almost none of what we did medically was um, conventional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so um, what did we do? We prayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looked like to us that we had been praying all along, but mm-hmm. as time went on, we it was obvious that he was getting worse mm-hmm. rather than better, and that it looked like God was not going to answer our prayers to heal him. Mm-hmm. And we considered dialysis, and dialysis at that time, if you were able to do the in-home dialysis, which was not a good option for Jack um, for other reasons, um, in-home dialysis uh, would cost $30,000 a year. Wow. He didn't make $30,000 a year. Wow. And he was opposed to, um, okay, so here it comes political things mm-hmm. again. He didn't like that um, the government was involved in certain aspect, uh, aspects of our life. So mm-hmm. medical care is one. And he didn't want to take from people, like the money that had been taken involuntarily from mm-hmm. people, he did not want to use that for himself for mm-hmm. medical things. So he didn't want to use a governmental um, health mm-hmm. plan. Like Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Right. And he didn't. we didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, and he was not willing to enter into that and jeopardize the house and the land. Right. He wanted that family to be, um, if he was going to die, and it looked like he was going to die soon, mm-hmm. then he didn't want to take make the the um, go into debt mm-hmm. for that. Right. Um, and he was firmly convinced that God could heal him if he wanted to, so he assumed that this was his time to die right. if these other things were not in place. Right. I did ask him, because um, five people offered him their kidneys. For a transplant, wow. and he um, he wasn't willing to do that because it was going to again cost a lot. And I said, "Well, Jack, okay. So, what if there was somebody who was super rich and they really wanted to donate this money to you and they wouldn't miss it for mm-hmm. a transplant? Mm-hmm. What would you think then?" He said, "Well, if that were the case, then I'd need to consider it. I'd need to think about it. And, but now I don't even need to think about it." Right? Did um. Did you did did you and Jack consider having private health insurance? Was he opposed to private health insurance or no? Not, not to? private would have been fine. Okay. And um, we had been part of a healthcare sharing ministry before. Wow! And th- so but you we go weren't way at back, that time. Right, yeah, right. but then um, it wasn't until after he died that I became part of a healthcare sharing ministry. Now with right. the Great. the kids and myself. Great. But when you um, when Jack died, he didn't have any life insurance. He had no life right. insurance. Was that something uh, intentional? What was? Did you? Did he think about? Did you guys ever think about having life insurance? Um, 
I, at one point I asked Jack, so this is going to be kind of uh, from the side on that mm-hmm. question, but at one point I asked Jack, you know, all these people, financial counselors say you ought to have savings. Right. You know, maybe we should be having a savings thing, Jack. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, Anne, we're never going to need money more than we need it right now. Right, that's the challenge, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, no, he, we, he, um, we didn't have money in the mm-hmm. bank to speak of, and we didn't have life insurance. I don't know that he was opposed to that. Yeah. Um, well, one time he probably he, wouldn't have qualified. You know, once once he started to develop those types of symptoms, he hardly would have qualified for life insurance anyway. So I can set your mind at ease. Yeah. No. That. Just but as a longtime seller of life insurance, it's always uh, I'm always interested to learn. You know. Okay, the, but we did have somebody who was presenting a life insurance policy mm-hmm. to us, right. and when he found out that we really hadn't been to doctors to speak mm-hmm. of, he said, "Oh." I might be able to give you, get you right. life insurance, right. you know, because right. there's nothing on record that mm-hmm. shows that you have, right. you know, but we didn't want to do that. Right. Right. And we didn't have money for that. Right, right. absolutely. So, um, you know, you make choices. Yeah. And then you live with right. those choices that right. you make. And I, I would guess if Jack was sitting here, I, I mean, do you think he would regret anything? Obviously, he was a man of conviction and he lived true mm-hmm. to his convictions, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things that I think we've lost an appreciation for. Obviously, we all have to consider our own path and we have to walk in faith and, and we're all accountable for our decisions. Mm-hmm. We're accountable uh, to ourselves. We're accountable to the Lord. We're accountable to our family for, and each of us has to make the decisions. But I appreciate um, people who are clear on their their convictions, their mm-hmm. conscience, and who walk uprightly um, without sacrificing those things. And I, I really appreciate that. I, I thought of one more thing. <clears throat> there was a chart that I saw, and I showed it to Jack, and it was talking about um, the outcome, like if you have a kidney transplant, mm-hmm. and it was showing, um, uh, it was a graph and it showed how long people lived after a kidney mm-hmm. transplant, right. what the statistics were. And if you had one early on, before your kidneys were too bad, you had a lot better chance of mm-hmm. it lasting for quite a long time. But on this chart, they had cut out all the people who died in the first six weeks after the transplant, right. and they had cut out all the people who, had, who were diabetic also, so that they weren't part of this study. Right. Right. And um, still, the... Um, rate of death over not very many years was high. Right. People didn't live a long time, even though they'd had not, I mean, sometimes it, it does work, but right. this, you know, um, the, it didn't look good right. on right. there. And Jack was just looking at diminishing returns, like you right. go into terrific debt and no time to pay it off mm-hmm. and maybe not live that long anyway and be on um, immune suppressants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, dealing with medical decisions, and when you are an intelligent person and you're able to look and to consider the medical wisdom for a certain condition, you're able to consider medical treatments. You're able to look at it and you consider conventional medicine um, approaches. You consider the outcome. You consider unconventional medicine approaches. It's challenging um, because. And it's especially challenging when you you have faith in God and his hand in your life, because every decision has to be measured in in that 
context. And then when you look carefully at the numbers and you look carefully at, okay, what's the percentage of this happening, of this treatment providing? I think almost anybody has a place at which you know, certain percentages, chances of success. And unless you, unless your entire operating mindset is the only thing that matters is how many days I live on mm -hmm. the earth, mm -hmm. we all have to look at the data and then seek to make a decision in light of it. And, and one of the things that's most difficult, and I appreciate, I'm seeking, I'm trying to be straightforward on the discussion because I think it's worth having. But one of the things that's so challenging is in hindsight, um, when you know the outcome, right? Mm -hmm, when you know the mm -hmm, outcome, Jack mm -hmm, dead, Jack's mm -hmm. dead. When you know the outcome of a, of a, of a situation, and I know my parents went through this with my own family when my sister died. And, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, um, you are standing there and you have to give an accounting of everything that you have done, of the medical advice that you have sought, of the treatments you've gotten. And especially when you bring in religion, uh, especially those of us who may tend more towards kind of a fundamentalist type of, of expression or what people would label fundamentalism that has a different um, connotation or different denotation depending on you know who's using the term but uh, there are some there are a lot of people who are just um i would say there are some people who i would say are um irresponsible right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i and um and so we want to be very careful not to be irresponsible mm -hmm. but there's also different ways of understanding the meaning of responsibility. And that's what's so frustrating, mm -hmm. especially this question, we're dealing with some pretty heavy stuff mm -hmm. because all of us with our children, with our own decisions, with our family members, we must be responsible. We must understand. But as you say, I mean, Jack was not a stupid man. <laughs> right. So, so here's something that Jack had to deal with early on in his life. And this is before I knew him. Mm -hmm. um, he had to decide, uh, he was very bright mm -hmm. and he had to decide uh, what am I going to live for? Right. And um, he decided that he would not try to be a great chemist. He would try to be a good chemist. But uh, to be a great chemist, he would need to devote himself to that. And he wanted to devote himself to Jesus Christ. There was a point in his life where he realized that he was known for his political views rather than for his beliefs. Mm -hmm. And he changed that, too, so that he didn't... Um, he still had those political beliefs, but he didn't tout them as much. Mm -hmm. He didn't, um, that wasn't the lion's share of his attention. Yeah. Um, and in his life with us, he could have made a lot of money and he would have had money to be having life insurance and all that, but we wouldn't have had him. Right. Right. He wouldn't have been around for the kids right. and for we, for me. Right. So I really, actually, I really appreciate the choices that he made. Um, I just talked with my sister not long ago, and she was really angry with Jack because he um, deserted us. He left us. By dying, you mean? By dying. Right. And he didn't pursue. And he was selfish. He should have done everything. He should that have done, taken care of right. the medical. Uh, right. He should have pursued the medical things that we have mm -hmm. now in modern medicine that can right. help somebody who has kidney trouble mm -hmm. to survive. Right. And um, so... Um, that was one night that she was really, she said, I'm just still mad at him. Mm -hmm. And the next morning I said, okay, so would you be willing to hear some of our thoughts about that and how we came to that decision? And she said yes, and so we talked. And afterwards she said, well, I'm not so mad at him anymore, but I still disagree with some of the choices he made. Right. And I think that that's, that's a legitimate right. thing. Everybody has right. to make choices. Yeah, I think we all have... Well, probably most of us would look back at some of our choices and and um, 
we make the best choices we know at the time with mm -hmm. the information we have. But mm -hmm. decision making is is not easy. And mm -hmm. um, you know, my I was talking with a client of mine the other day, and we were talking about choices. And the problem with hard choices is hard choice. The hardest, the easy choices are the easiest choices are always when you have a good option mm -hmm. and a lot of bad options. Oh, right? Those are that's yeah, always that easy to, to know. The hardest choices are either when you have no good option or you have several good options. Mm -hmm. Because choosing among no good options is really hard, or choosing among several good options is very hard. And unfortunately, in hindsight, it's one thing to look and to say, hey, you know, we may would have made a different choice, but you may have different information, which now shows, hey, something is different. In 2018, the medical treatment for kidney disease may be very different than it was in 1986 or 1996 mm -hmm. or 98 mm -hmm. or 88. So I want to go back now to the finances. And thank you um, mm -hmm. for being willing mm -hmm. to talk about it. I think these are the kinds of um, decisions and discussions that we wrestle with and all we all have to wrestle with. Um, but I appreciate your, your, your being willing to talk about them. So, um, you've told me that before Jack died, he, 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 he had a sense that he wasn't sure how much longer it was going to be. And he called your family together for a family meeting. Tell, right. tell me about right. that. So, um, he, this was for the older kids primarily. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the little kids were involved at all, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but he talked to the older kids and he said, um, okay, so you guys, this is what it takes to, uh, support our family in lean times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you just now heard my oldest daughter say, he said that, uh, two people working minimum wage would support our family. Mm -hmm. So my daughters, two of my daughters said, Daddy, we'd like to take that job on. We would like to work and support the family when you die. And this was a, your oldest was 24 or 23 or 24. And then your second one, this was not, this was your fourth daughter. Right. And how old was she at the time? Hmm. About 19 or 20 or so? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you had two other children in between, but they had school. And so they said, Dad, we would like to and do this. And one was sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, right. So they said that they would like to do that, that they would do support the family. And so he was contented with that. He was happy about that. Right. And uh, so that was the plan, and things changed, though. Right. So he died. He died. Your daughters then did go to go and get jobs and do that, or what? They happened? did. Okay. They did. Now they they didn't know they they both were working. One was working for a Christian school, and one was working for a Christian like adventure camp mm -hmm. thing. And mm -hmm. so they it, they weren't very high paying jobs. Right. So they didn't right. know whether they needed they needed to quit those jobs and get mm -hmm. other jobs. Right. But um, it worked out fine because what happened was. Uh, Right after Jack died, when our friends heard that he had died, uh, so many people sent money to us. Just a, and I have this form that I'm going to share with you mm -hmm. later. But um, so many people sent money to us. And then after that, uh, monthly, there were some people who supported us. Every month, they would send money to us. And um, they just committed to that. What a blessing. It was, and some of them I didn't even know. And one of the churches I'd never been to and didn't know those people, but they supported us too. And um, and it, one time Jessica, my oldest, who was one of the people supporting us, um, came home to visit and she said, oh, you guys are eating or drinking orange juice. You guys are, you know. <laughs> Living high on the hog. Yeah, I, live, yeah, I think I'll go ahead and, and buy some shampoo. <laughs> she had really been... Um, 
living very frugally mm-hmm. so that she could give me all the money. Wow. So did uh, did you didn't say that you know Jack was some kind of public preacher? Like mm, he, no, it wasn't like you guys had developed a, a family ministries and established a company and going all around trying to to gin up support for yourselves. He no. was just living his life, laboring in his family. But somehow, when he died, um, these people felt the the desire and the burden to to support you. Okay, so yes, that's true, and and I'll just say too that. Um, Okay, so our oldest daughter, just a minute, mm-hmm. <clears throat> our oldest daughter um, was very physically active and mm-hmm. socially active and wanted to do everything. Mm-hmm. And so um, Jack kept um, supplying her with things so right. that there were there was a homeschool uh, teen group that mm-hmm. he formed and there was a track meet that they started. And there was, eventually it ended up being a thing that... Uh, uh, he did statewide for all the homeschoolers, which was um, athletics, arts, and academics wow. um, competitions mm-hmm. and prizes and judging. And um, so he was well known that way. And uh, he had also uh, taught chemistry for the local Christian school, mm-hmm. for the high school there. In fact, when he was dying, he, was a, he, he just had very little energy. Um, he was cutting things out, mm-hmm. and one of the things I suggested that he cut out was teaching that chemistry lab here at our our place. And he said, "Oh no, that energizes me. Right, right, no, I'm going right. to keep doing that." So you recounted that when people heard that Jack had died, and uh, mm-hmm. you of course were widowed with twelve children, oldest twenty three or four, youngest under a year. So eight minors. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, so then you said that people sent money um, totaling thousands of dollars, right? Mm-hmm, yes. Um, and so what did you do? What did you do with the money? Okay. So um, I think this is where I'm going to tell, I'm going to read this mm-hmm. um, paper to you. Mm-hmm. Um, my oldest uh, minor, mm-hmm. um, okay, so she was a senior when Jack died mm-hmm. in our homeschool. And... Uh, she wanted to go to college, but um, wasn't emotionally ready for that. I don't think it's an easy thing to lose your daddy. No. And, um, and so she took a second senior year going to our local Christian school. And then she wanted to go to Wheaton College. Mm-hmm. And uh, academically, she was qualified for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we applied for the... Um, financial scholarship Mm -hmm. and uh the form came for me to fill out and uh there was there was no blank on there for me to say where my income what my income was so i had to put zero on it so they sent me another form and i still had to put zero they had blanked out the places where i might be able to say something Mm -hmm. so finally they sent me this form (laughs) this is verification of low parent income it says, since the income which you represent reported for 2001 appears unusually low, we must verify the information before making a decision on financial assistance for your son or daughter. Please answer the questions below, giving as much detailed information as possible. So there are six questions. One, what was your family monthly cost of housing in 2001? We own, uh, oh, I said $106, prorated property tax. So hold on a second. So the question is, what was your monthly? 
monthly cost, cost of, of housing. housing. And your answer is $106, which is the, the prorated monthly version property of your tax. property tax. Right, <laughs> right. Wow. Um, and I said we own our own home and land. From what income source was this paid? Gifts. My two daughters, seven families, and two churches gave us monthly money. Our monthly income averaged about $2,400. What was the monthly cost of utilities in 2001? About $400. I said we have wood heat, and that helps. From what income source were utilities costs paid? Gifts. See above. Many people did work to bring and ready wood for our heating. <clears throat> so we paid nothing for that. What was the approximate monthly cost of food in 2001? About $300. This includes detergent and others' costs. Uh, from what income source were food costs paid? We were given a pickup load of food, 800 pounds of potatoes, gift certificates for groceries, much frozen and canned and fresh food, and a half a beef, etc. Our grocery bill was low because of this. What was the monthly cost of transportation in 2001? About $365. It may have been more averaging out for tires and repairs. We own our vehicles. From what income source were transportation costs paid? We paid this with gift money. The mechanic also gave us discounts. Did you or your son or daughter receive any other support that was not reported on the FAFSA, Wheaton College Financial Aid Application or Verification Worksheet? Gifts. See above. Also, when my husband first died, November 2000, there was a great inflow of money that was not monthly. This came from many people. In 2001, we received more than $15,000 from approximately 45 people or groups who were not the ones who gave to us monthly. I used that money to help finish our house and for permanent improvements to our place. Yeah. And that's the end of that. So that was, I made this out June 3rd, 2002. Wow. What a blessing. I, um, I appreciate being, I appreciate people's sensitivity to when you know of a need to go and to give money towards it. And it's neat to hear, um, just the testimony of God's faithfulness. Yeah, I, I would imagine, um, although you may look back on it and perhaps some of the, the fear and the uncertainty may have faded by now, but I would imagine that as a newly widowed mother, um, there was a lot on your shoulders. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. There was a, um, before Jack died, I took a walk <clears throat> and I talked heart to heart with God. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, okay, so Father, you know that Jack is the organized person in the family. He's the one who's the good, the teacher. He's the one who makes the money. Mm -hmm. He's the one who... Um, is practical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, if you take him, you know what you're going to be left with. That's me. <laughs> do you want to do this? And um, and then I, I asked him for s several things. One, I asked him for uh, his name not to be besmirched because of our decisions and our choices. Right. Right. And I also asked him if he would make it so that my family didn't have to be involved in our provision. Right. Because um, I knew that that would not be a good testimony, because uh, we were putting our trust in God, right. and uh, they thought we were being kind of stupid to do that. Right. Um, and he answered those prayers. 
Praise the Lord. Yeah, no, it wasn't easy. Emotionally, emotionally mostly, you know, and just because I didn't want to be responsible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a chance to, to, uh, to learn. Mm-hmm. So did you continue homeschooling at that time? Did yes. Did you put the children yes. in, into the Yes, and, and I found out about um, the widow, let's see, what is it called? Um, the Widow's Curriculum Fund which is through the Homeschool Legal Defense. Mm-hmm. HSLDA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, if you want to continue homeschooling and you're a widow, mm-hmm. um, then um, you can tell them what you would like to get for your curriculum. Mm-hmm. And if that's something that they think is legit and right. um, you have a need, then they supply that so they supplied me with curriculum for years and years there came a time and this was so much this was really a cool thing because they had been so generous and you know i i didn't think that um i didn't think that it was that big a deal to me except that every time i received the check to pay for those things i cried because it was such a sweet thing, and that's um, they su- they supply that money because um, people give to that fund. Um, but uh, there came a point where I didn't know I had my last child at home, and um, my finances were changing, and um, I didn't know where I stood, and so I applied for the curriculum fund, widows curriculum fund, and they said, you know, um, you. Uh, are have enough money now that we won't support you, mm-hmm. and that was such a blessing to me too. Right when she said that, I said, "Oh, I have enough money now. I right. don't have to worry about this." Right, right, right. <laughs> so that was really a sweet thing. What a blessing! Did you ever um, uh, apply for any government uh, assistant programs? Okay, that's an interesting thing too. Um, so Jack didn't like social social security, right, right, and um, so. Uh, Jack didn't like Social no, Security. No, he didn't like Social Security. Right. And so one time he even wrote the Social Security num- uh, office, the uh, administration, mm-hmm. a letter saying, uh, I'd like to opt out of this now. You can keep all the money I've put in, right. but I don't want to participate in this right. anymore. And right. I, won't re- I won't expect anything. And they said, well, no, this isn't a voluntary program. And he said, yeah, yeah I guess I knew that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, when, um, okay, so I, 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 that, I talked about what happened um, for that first year after mm-hmm. Jack died. After that, my parents um, were in an unhappy situation where my father needed um, more care than my mother could give him. And so I asked if mom uh, wanted to move up with him to our place and I'd help her take care of him. Well, mm-hmm. she financed building a little place on to our big house. Mm-hmm. And um, they decided then to, uh, so they financed the house and then instead of paying money to the retirement center, they gave us the money that they would, that they were paying for their housing and stuff. Yeah, it was great because we could live on that just fine. Um, So um, after, 
I forgot where I was going. You with were this. talking about government programs. Oh yes, yes, yes. So after when, after my mother moved in, my siblings and I got together, and they were uneasy because I didn't have um, health insurance, and they said. And I, I just want to say that my siblings are the greatest. Mm-hmm. They're just wonderful, and they're not greedy people. But they were concerned that my mom then would be in a position of wanting to pay for any medical costs that we might have. Mm-hmm. So they said, we want you to get some sort of medical insurance. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's when I went on the, um, the healthcare sharing, the healthcare program. sharing mm-hmm. program. And that's not insurance, but mm-hmm. it's something I felt fine about doing. And, um, and they said, we also want you to take Social Security for the children. That's available for you. You ought to be taking it. And I, I said, oh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll seriously consider that. Let but me clarify. What they want you to take was the orf- uh, widow and orphans benefit from right. Social Security, mm-hmm, which is available to any minor um, of minor child of somebody who has died while enrolled while fully uh, credit- credited in the Social Security program. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I, I had reservations about that, but I thought, okay, if Jack had the opportunity to go and take out all that he put in um, to the Social Security Administration, then he would have liked to take yeah, that out. Yeah, the money yeah. back. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I didn't know how that would work, but I went ahead and talked to the Social Security person that mm-hmm. was local, and um, she was super helpful. And I said, um, I would like to take out, I would like to receive it for as long as, as I'm still taking out money that Jack put in. I mm-hmm. don't want to go past that. Right, right. And so she helped me figure out what he would have put in over all the years that he worked. Because mm-hmm. he, he he paid taxes. Right. Right. He groused about right. it. And, he, and then he, <laughs> he um, became convinced that he shouldn't be grousing either. So he quit grousing. But it was... Uh, <laughs> Dude, man, I'm glad Jack's not here. Because it sounds like we've had a lot of the same struggles. <laughs> <he and> I. <laughs> so um, I began taking... Um, Social mm-hmm. Security, and it was it was so great. It was really nice. We we um, it just made things looser. Right. And um, and then there came and the the lady at the Social Social Security office said, said, "This isn't how it works. You know, you just keep get keep taking right, it. Right. You know." <laughs> anyway, but there came a point where we had reached. I had written it down, and I kept track of how much money, and we had taken out what Jack had put in, and so I contacted her and I said, "I'd like to quit now." And she said, that isn't how it works, right, you know. Right. You ought to just keep on taking And right. I said, no, I really want to quit now. She said, well, it isn't that easy. I'll have to present it to somebody. And would you please um, show us what money you have that is supporting you now? So I did that, and the board or whoever it was agreed that, yes, I could go off Social Security. Wow. And so that was the end of wow. that. Wow. Now, my mom upped the, the thing. After mm-hmm. a while, she also gave us more money. Um, one thing was that she liked her house at 80 degrees. Right. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) so so, a little higher heating bill. Yes. Yes. So, but she, um, so she supported us generously more than it would have cost her to be at a retirement center. Great. Well, I think that, and so fast forward, then your parents died, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you cared for your dad for a while. He died quickly. And then your mom lived with you for many years and Mm -hmm. uh, she eventually died. And now you are living in the... The mother or mother-in-law quarters that That's she right. paid for. That's right. And now you get to live with some of your family members. Right. Um, so my oldest daughter and her son and four children live in our big log house that my husband built. Great, great. Her husband and four children. Um, yes. Um, so 
What a blessing. Mm-hmm. Another thing that is, and this is just kind mm-hmm. of another strange thing that we did, besides having um, home births, we also, um, I'm delighted to say, um, uh, here on our 20 acres, we have a burial plot. So uh, we had a baby who died, mm-hmm. and she was buried there, and my husband was buried there, and my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. There's a place safe for me. That's great. So That's, uh, it's, I would, um, I think that there is, and one of the reasons I wanted to share your story with my audience is there is a richness in your story that is frequently increasingly harder to find in the United States of America. Um, the, the decisions and the lifestyle that you've described would have been, frankly, boring, uh, you know, a, a century ago. Mm-hmm. There, there's mm-hmm. very little in what you have described that um, a century ago would have been um, out of character. Uh, perhaps instead of teaching all your children at home, they may have gone to the local one-room schoolhouse, or perhaps you, um, you know, instead of Jack being able to telecommute, he would have had to work locally. But beyond that, your story would be fairly typical. And of course, people would, have, their heart, their hearts would have gone out to you as a widow um, in that era. But in our modern era, your story is very unusual. Um, but yet, there is a lot of truth and a lot of lessons in it. Uh, that I think, at least for me personally, I, I take note of. And um, from my observation, we can look up here at your wall, and I'm looking at a a, a picture of your your 12 surviving children and how many grandchildren now? 17. 17 grandchildren and um, perhaps many more as your younger children um, continue to marry and have children. And do you feel rich? I'm rich. Yeah. And I think that's something that is lost. Um, you know, I have sat as a financial advisor. I have sat at kitchen tables like this one with many, with with some women, some older single women, some widowed and divorced women. And and sometimes the finances um, are lean. I've I've been in those conversations and I've sought to help those ladies. But sometimes the finances are abundant, and yet the quality of life is is very low. And uh, I think that <laughs> Jack and I share a lot of um, similarities from everything you've told me about him in terms of ideology and moral quandaries and trying <laughs> to figure out how to navigate these things. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and yet, I, I think that if he were, if he were still here, um, I, I think he would be gratified to see the outcome of his decisions. He was clearly a man with vision, and he had a vision that went beyond just simply the amount of money in the bank account. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I I'm encouraged to see that. Uh, I'm encouraged to see that. Go ahead. I have one more thing, and that was, I think, something that we talked about earlier was mm-hmm. um, that my grandfather uh, set up a trust mm-hmm. for my parents and for then his grand, you know, his grandchildren, and I'm one of those. So that that's now what supports me. What a blessing. Yeah. Great. So he had uh, some financial right. Um, right. savvy right. that he exercised and. Yeah. Um, I, I reap yeah. the benefit of that. It that's isn't great. anything that I've done that's smart. <laughs> right. So 
Well, I think that that, and I'll I'll share probably more with my audience elsewhere. But the, but when you have the two things together, when you have wise financial planning mixed with instilling values and building a family culture, that's where a strength is. And if you had to choose, you know, I always looked at it this way. I remember when I was younger, I worked with I worked with a lot of of people, and um, my wife and I we watched um, there's a show on TV um, with the the Duggar family. The the, the thing they had, I don't know, a lot of kids in counting, 17 kids in counting, something like that. And we watched some of those early episodes. And I always looked at, I always looked at him. Um, and I thought to myself, especially in some of the shows, we haven't watched it in years, but some of the shows where he start, was starting to have grandchildren. And I thought to myself, now there's a man who at this point he's financially well off, but I read his book and, and they weren't wealthy in the beginning. But I looked at the wealth that they had in the joy of his life. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's a wealthy man. And you look at the joy of life. Mm-hmm. And I've done financial planning for so many people who have plenty of money and they, you know, they have one estranged child, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, one of the saddest ones. I had a friend of mine, um, a good, good friend of mine from the financial planning business it was very close to him, but he was an older man and he and his wife were very wealthy. They had one son who committed suicide when Aww. he was, uh, you know, eight, 19, 20 years old. And he had all the money in the world uh, to do anything he wanted. But the thing he most wanted would have done was of course to have his son back. And it's just heartbreaking mm-hmm. to see that. And mm-hmm. I, I came to the con- conviction. I said, um, I don't think you have to choose love or money. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think you have to choose. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I bet Jack would agree with that. He didn't feel like he had to choose. He made a choice at the time to choose to work quarter time, to choose to work half time. He made choices intentionally and took ownership of them. But if you did have to choose, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. I'd ha- I'd a- I would a whole lot rather place my wife's future and her support in the hands of my siblings, our children. I would a whole lot rather trust the family network and th- that support network I would a whole lot rather trust the church than i would you know xyz life insurance company mm-hmm. um now i it's my own conviction they can go together many people disagree with me um but but if i had to choose i would do that and that's what i appreciate about your story is you're sharing what that was like as uh as through that story so thank you thank mm-hmm. you any other words of wisdom that you would love to share with uh, in closing with my listeners as a grandmother who's had a wealth of life experience? I've never um, found God to be absent in trouble. Amen. That he's present and that he's trustworthy. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being willing to turn the microphone on and, and record this. I appreciate it. It's, it, it, will, it encourages me as a younger man, and uh, it will encourage my listeners. So thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome.